Every time I was asked if I believed in ghosts, I always responded no. But as the years pass, maybe that's not so true anymore in its own special way. Because what are ghosts if not trapped memories and mementos of our past? Are they not the sadness that lingers in the corner of our eyes? The grief that sits on the edge of our bed on the darkest nights? Are they not the forgotten laughs in the hallways of our memories? The cherished gems and jewels of a forgotten life that felt so long ago? Do I believe in ghosts? No. But I see them every day and they remind me that it is not what time takes away, but what she leaves behind. And that is everything. What's going on, guys? MDLP Battleaxe Podcast coming at you really hot at the heart. This is episode 43. 43. And I am here with my handsome Baron of the North podcast host, Johnny Banks. Hey, what's up, everyone? Welcome back. Thank you again. Holy shit, been four months since we've been here, huh? It seems like fast. too fast. So I almost, uh, I was rusty at the entry. That's what we had to ask what episode <laughs> this was. But uh, slowing it down, becoming more professional. Thank you guys for always sticking with us. Um, again, we always want to give thanks to those who help us and sponsor us and support us. To Cerberus USA, always hooking up my guys and taking care of us. To the Bearded 305, the Villains 305, thank you so much. Congratulations on the fucking world event geez man the money that you guys raised was amazing how much was it um we're not fully tallied yet but i think we're probably over around fifteen thousand. <laughs> so it's, it's we will not discuss what was raised at the, at the miami's batters but 15 grand man so congratulations to you guys you obviously are an amazing force and thank you always for the support to everybody from my cousin all the way down to every single one of them even to Little Chink. I was about to say Chink, <laughs> and I was like, I don't want to, but I'm going to. Um, and thank you so much to all those guys. And again, um, I want to just always thank the Battle Axe family, the Battle Axe clan. Thank you for everything and uh, go to energy. Thank you for always helping us out, taking care of us. Even we just started with some caffeine. I feel fantastic <laughs> and chatty. I'm zooming. And these are just companies that are local, homegrown, good people to us. So it's not like we get paid yet. But because we love them so so let's get this started yeah let's do this man it's been too long so is it a coincidence mm. that world's strongest man and miami's baddest are like right next to each other <laughs> miami's world strength competition was obviously <laughs> what started i was born in the 60s i don't know if you know <laughs> but as a highlander i live forever but yeah i know right how dare they how dare they how dare they it was we back, but whatever i let it slide yeah, we had a we had a very um, emotional world strongest man, two of the greats, for real, hanging it up. Yeah, and I thought that was, and you know, Shaw first of all coming out like that and saying, you know, well, being honest with that leg infection that he got was insane. Yeah, always watching him. There's just a genuine courage. I got to hang out with Brian when I was hosting the Barcelona Arnold's. I was asked to go there in 2016, I believe to help translate. So I was actually announcing Arnold's in Spain, oh, in cool. Spanish, which was really cool. Dion flew me out there from Starman Corporation. It was pretty awesome. I got to meet Jerry Pritchett and I actually got to hang out with Brian a lot because he hung out with Dion most of the time. And credit to Brian, man, he 
he is really who he is. You know, he's extremely meticulous, almost annoying in the sense of training. But that's like I said, that's what it takes to be a fucking champion. Mm-hmm. You know, he checks every implement, every distance, everything. And you know, best of the best are meticulous people most of the time. So it's pretty impressive to see his attention to detail, which I consistently, you know, speak about and preach. But one thing that I remember specifically about Brian, which is why I was rooting for him so much, um, despite the difficult field that he was facing, is that I remember on the way to the actual competition and the contest, he stopped for every single fan, no matter if they cut in front of him or like, they're like, Brian, Brian, you know, and he just stopped every single time. I think we were stopped 30 something times from the entrance to his actual warm and I'm not lying. This isn't an exaggeration. And he stopped every single person, took a picture, signed whatever for free. I said, man, doesn't that, doesn't that bother you? Like, he goes, well, you know, obviously when I'm warming up, there's a certain time. He goes, but when I was a kid, I tried to meet Lou Ferrigno and I waited all day, whatever. And, you know, at one point, Lou just didn't want to deal with anybody. And he was so shot down as a kid because, you know, he was like, nah, I get away, whatever. Yeah. And he made a promise to himself. So he goes, if I ever get this big, I will never you know ditch a fan and man every single one and that was just a credit to who he was because he did it he did it it's not like he was showing me something that was who he was yeah so you know credit to him man and him hanging up and felix of course it was just like watching these guys these fucking legends um continuously go out there despite everything and it was awesome it was emotional i knew i don't think he was gonna win i had like the the dream win, oh, yeah. and I'm like, ah, it's just so hard. I mean, Plus he's still, losing two weeks like that. Yeah, I mean, he still was. A force. The things he's good at, he's still one of the best at. Stupid. So, yeah. and then Marcus, like, they post that picture of him shirtless at 50-something. Yeah, fuck, piece of crap. Jesus. Fucking hobbit hands, like <laughs> like Eddie Cohen hands, but like times 10. You know? Yeah, and except for he probably doesn't try to break your ribs when he shakes your hands. Yeah. Thanks, Eddie. Thanks, Eddie. I hope you hear this. Savage. <laughs> <laughs> so... Yeah, man. So recently, um, you know, I kind of want to double back into you've been featured on some podcasts and I think that not enough people have noticed. Um, so um, you did Table Talk, yeah, which was man. insane. So good. So good. Yeah. Uh, you also did Hybrid. Correct. I did Hybrid Unlimited. Phil Daru. Phil Daru. Yeah, those are my big three. Just recently you did uh, Jen Thompson. Correct. Yeah. Am I missing one? Uh, I believe that's for this year. Um, the okay. big major ones that I think we can link. I um, also did one with my friend Romy, um, who is like a mental, not like a, she's a mental health coach, and she does a lot of things on meditation. Um, we did that, like spirituality and stuff and consciousness. We did that one a few months ago. That one was uh, definitely a little bit out of the terms of strength and conditioning, but still part of that. But yeah, Table Talk was the one. <laughs> not that it's, I don't think, I mean, obviously, I don't think it's better, but it's like, what we strive to be there. You yeah. Know, it was really a big honor. Yeah, it was pretty cool because um, it just so happened that that made me pay a little bit more attention to it. Yeah. And then we started seeing like friends of friends like uh, Jaffe, yeah. Dan Bell, all these Florida guys yeah, on there yeah, crushing. Yeah, because Florida's so fucking gifted in strength and we have an incredible strength in Florida. Yeah. It's just overlooked by us Floridians until you kind of been in the game. Yeah. But we have an incredible and some of the best lifters ever hang out here. You know, Hell yeah. Men and women, so... Oh yeah. So recently you've really dialed into your content mm. and um, you, you've really dialed in the Instagram. Uh, it looks like you have a TikTok page now, yeah, which is yeah. very cool. Short yeah. information. Hey, listen, I use TikTok a lot. Yeah. And 
at first I, it was weird. And sure. Like, why saying, is everybody dancing? Yeah. And then when your <laughs> algorithm catches to what you like, you're like, it's like, bam, you're finding all this really good information. Yeah. And you have a very great way of relaying information. So I think it's a great idea. Recently, you've now created a secondary uh, portion of your Instagram, which is subscription. Right. So let's uh, let's just go into why you thought that that was necessary, and also what if so, what will someone get when they subscribe to your Instagram page? So, good question. I just spoke about this today uh, during our BattleX meeting. We have a meeting every Saturday at seven. Sometimes just general information, and today I think it was a good time to catch up and let everyone know what I'm doing. Um, you know, working with Paul and being around other professionals is one reason to approach this year at a much more professional level. Number two, um, the necessity to create funds outside of the brick and mortar. I, like I said, I've been very open about this. You know, I have to take care of my parents. It's been a very real drive. Aside of my family and my home, there is a very like tenacious approach to making more money to take care of my parents. It doesn't mean, you know, selling out per se, but there is something that switched on very hard when my dad lost his job and mm -hmm. A, to help them, uh, B, to help myself, let's be real. But like I said, the next 10 years, the model for the next 10 years has to be better. You know, I am older, I have more responsibilities, I'm more tired, you know, life is harder to some capacities as much as it is easier. So that drive to be more professional and it, somebody sent me a, a like a little GIF or whatever, is it GIF or GIF? It's yeah. GIF. GIF. Is it Jife? If so, I hear if I hear Jif, I think peanut butter because I'm fat. So GIF. Right? Yeah. So Jife is Jif. somebody said me, and it's the Joker says, remember when he's like, if you're good at something, don't do it for free. Yeah. And you gotta dance on that line very carefully because I also remember that a lot of people put a lot of free information out there, which is great. Mm -hmm. And I don't think there's anything wrong with you charging a little bit or whatever you want to information that you think is valid and is going to help somebody out. But more importantly, I wanted to create a page where it's a little bit more opinionated and the people that are there really want my information. Yeah. They are willing four ninety nine a month. So but there is certainly like I've had more conversations in the last four or five posts posts that are meaningful and productive and as a coach than responding to like three fire emojis or you know, three axes. You know, like yeah, I love that. And that's support. But I'm also not gonna respond to all my comments. So some of the things that I'm doing on this particular subscription page and this isn't selling anything. It's just the way that it is. It's I'm going to be a lot more involved in responding with my opinion and my experiences and having back and forth with people that I think give a shit and not are just like going to be argumentative. Not that I think my followers are like that to any capacity, but sometimes I don't want to hear it. But mm -hmm. if they respond with something like, Oh, you know, I do this. I'm like, well, I think you should do this because you're obviously on the subscription page because you want my opinion, you want my experience and you want my coaching mm -hmm. aside from things like, you know, just, discounts on certain things you'll get the first which i want to create that culture that that professional business approach is like hey if i have somebody paying for my information let me give them a little bit something not yeah. necessarily much different than my pay but that's okay you know and it's it's business Absolutely. and i i want to be more business i want to be more professional this year i want to treat my abilities that i finally think like hey not finally. I mean, we always struggle. Remember, we talked about in the text, you're like, hey, I think we deserve it. I'm like, I still struggle with that personally, you know? It's just me. That's what I think, you know? And I'm like, but there comes a time and a point when I think you can approach things and charge things at a good level where you're not necessarily selling out, but you hold yourself in a high regard enough that, hey, like I should be paid for some of this information to a degree. Yeah. And that's where we are.
And I think that, um, you know, it's funny because we're, we're both kind of internally built this way. Mm. It's, it's hard to accept compliments, but it's funny because you said it three times in, in what you just said, selling out. Yeah. That's a poor man's view. A yes. businessman has never looked at making money to support his family as selling out to anything. Yeah. That's like, just business. That's this, this, thank you for saying that because this year I'm like, man, I really don't give a fuck. Yeah. Like when it comes, and I'm not hurting anyone. I'm not excluding anyone. I'm like. I am taking my finances and my professional realm and what I think I need to do to get to the next 10 years. And it is pushing me. Mm -hmm. It is pushing me in vulnerable areas. It is making me more structured. It is very hard. It is very busy. And I love that shit. So this is one step of utilizing my capabilities and, and my skill set and my toolbox to generate some more intricate content that I, I like being opinionated. Yeah. So like, this is where I'm going to be way more opinionated and way more experienced and share things that I know on a personal level. Like we do on this podcast per se, mm -hmm. and then keeping my page, you know, relatively neutral and objective, and here's stuff. But yeah, you know, this is what I really want to push, amongst other things, like you know, creating more writing and stuff like that. I think that, um, yeah, that's a great idea, actually. Yep. I didn't see you notice. I didn't notice you say the writing stuff. I'm gonna write way more. Yeah, phenomenal. So, um, real quick, we don't really. I'm not gonna jump throw you right into the meat of what we have coming, uh, but I do want to talk about. You have a couple of upcoming events. I just want to cover those real quick sure. because again, you know, things kind of, when you get on Instagram, you kind of dummy down. Right. And you're like, oh, that's my fan. Like, <laughs> I just talked about this morning. There's no swipe right. You're just like, tap, 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 tap. I'm like, hey, yeah. you know what I'm doing? I know this person. Tap, tap. Yeah, yeah. They could be like, I just killed a bunny. You're like, tap, tap. That's awesome. <laughs> Fire emojis. Heart, heart, heart. <laughs> so uh, let's talk about the upcoming uh, seminars you have because mm -hmm. I believe you have three. Correct. And right. so... For the first time in 11 years, the Battle Axe turns 11 this year, I can say that I have a tour. And that is probably like the coolest thing I could say. I have three separate seminars, including this. Michael Sister. De La Palo, the guitarist. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I always dreamed of this moment. <laughs> Acapella. Improv <laughs> <laughs> comedy? Me. <laughs> and it's finally set up in a way where it feels like a tour. It is a tour. I have three, you know, three seminars in about four to five weeks that I have been invited to do, which is awesome. I didn't go, hey, I'm doing this. You're gonna, I'm going to, because I could, I can pull the friend card and be like, host one for me. Yeah. And maybe in the future we will, but I was invited by, you know, Gorilla Bench, Iron Knight, uh, who have been, Iron Knight have been fantastic in oh, their man. marketing skills. They're really stepping up their game. Shout out to Corey and uh, Ivy and all them just fucking killing it um, yeah their their meat sold out i think too right yeah. in august yeah man even i'm sorry and you know i think that's super super important to recognize that and then of course Susie and sisters of iron invited me to do the mental health one i don't want to say mental health it's more mental capacity mental hygiene and how to organize these thoughts to programming and as far as coaching it and training it that's may 27th that's here in miami all this stuff is going to be at the battle axe gym for you guys who are interested and then, of course, Strongman and Gorilla Bench. Matt, thank you so much for you guys inviting me out there. That's going to be more, you know, hands-on event stuff, implement stuff. And then strength and conditioning, like an overall outlook. And then some intricate details at Iron Knight. And it's just super flattering. It will always be flattering when somebody wants to pay for your information. It doesn't mean, you know, I've worked on, hey, I think I deserve this too. But, man, I don't care if it's five or 100 people. It's yeah. just very incredible. And then, of course, we are bringing Dr. Locke from Australia, which is fucking crazy. And his prices are super fucking cheap because he's just that cool of a guy. 
Yeah, I like, mean, he's just that. Look at though. him. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> July twenty second, twenty third, and you know, just to keep you guys updated because this is in Florida. This is made in Florida, homegrown stuff, and people are coming to us and generating stuff. And I think it's it's cool to talk about. Yeah, yeah, and uh, you know, all of these things are happening because, and, and I think people who are listening to this, you, a lot of you might be new coaches or new gym owners. Don't miss the glaring thing here, which is. 11 years of the gym being open, but the body of work is 15, 20 years of work. Right. Right. Yeah. And, and the past four or five years are the ones you guys are really, really starting to see. And that's all the, all the glitz and glamor of the end. Right. Right. Of the, the polished product. Mm-hmm. But we've been eating a lot of shit sandwiches. <laughs> oh man. And it's like, yeah, you pay the, as I hold saying like you pay the plumber this much money. It's not for the, the 10 minute fix is for the 15 years of experience. And right. that's something I've always, you know, carried in my back pocket. And I've been in this coaching for quite a long time. So it's <laughs> yeah. pretty cool. Yeah. So, okay. So, um, I just kind of was looking over your seminars and, uh, they're different. Mm. They're different, but there's almost like this intertwined link between the three. And there's this, this kind of like touch point of mental, capacity mm-hmm. you know mental hygiene as well as I, I don't think there's anyone in florida probably anywhere in the there may be one or two but definitely in florida there's nobody really talking about movement mm-hmm. and movement patterns better than you <laughs> well i appreciate that i think there's a I, thank you i think there are some and i love you for it um but i think we're what I really want to focus on, aside from the movement pattern, is communicating that in a way that allows execution of a better training protocol. So I think in my mind, there are a lot of better brains and understanding biomechanics and telling you muscles and anatomies and how to work. Yeah, I've kind of prided myself on being able to communicate certain things to people mm-hmm. in a great way. And a lot of that has come from just coaching and talking, not only to these guys who I think are better than me and more knowledgeable, but also being expressing to people that have never lifted a barbell before. And I've been very fortunate enough to create some really incredible athletes that have never lifted before, as well as rubbing shoulders with the best in the world, period, whether it's powerlifting, strongman, bodybuilding, and being around there and being curious and I guess being humble enough to go, hey, man, I don't know. Tell me, please. Yeah. Educate me. Ask me questions. That's been most of my career and still is. Yeah, I mean, I do that with now I'm just lucky enough to be able to ask some of the best in the world and be like, hey, teach me about this rather than just trying to like run my head into a wall and asking like the guy down the street. Yeah. I'm asking, you know, guys like Dr. Locke, Paul, Brian Carroll, Eddie Cohen, Dave Tate. Like I'm like, hey, Tate, can you show me what do you think about this? Yeah. You know, and then just being able to dive deeper into psychology by exposing myself. So I think a lot of times and I, I will say this to a lot of people as well, it's it's you know, having the confidence of experience because you're willing to ask so many questions. And then it's super important to be able to articulate and communicate your skill set to any person in walks of life. And that is a fucking, that's a practice. And you have to sit with people that, and there's something I'm going to fucking break the line. It's like when people say, oh, that person doesn't support you X amount, or, you know, they have a bad energy. They're killing your vibe, as people like to fucking say. I'm so sick of vibe. They're like, oh, so get them out of your life. I said, on the contrary, those are the ones you want to keep 
somewhat close to your life because they're going to teach you more about your capabilities than the people that are just always going yes or for sure. And that same thing with clientele and the same thing when you host seminars or when you, you know, you meet somebody that's very smart and they're very difficult and you're going to have to ask very good questions. You're going to have to speak to them in a way that you're going to get the most out of that, that question and that conversation. And those typically aren't the people that are helping your vibe. You know, they're very, they can be very difficult or standoffish or condescending. What's well, anti-vibe? What's the word for that? <laughs> Logic? No, I'm just um, right. So it's like, you know, maybe I digress a little bit, but it's like those skill sets, I think, are super important. Like, keep those people close. Mm. Learn from them. Maybe you might be able to help them. Mm. You know, some of my most loyal lifters were the most difficult people in the fucking world. You know, male and female, very alpha, stand your ground. I know how to do it. I'm like, let's see. I myself have been like that many times in my life. And I've been fortunate enough to work with incredible coaches and teachers and mentors that have allowed me to develop with them rather than just going, you know what? You're killing my coaching vibe. Fuck you. You know, it's like, and that's been that whole process of being able to articulate biomechanics in a way where I think I can, I can do that because I've worked with so many fucking people where I've been stubborn enough not to let go of something that's hard. You know? Yeah. Your ability to dumb it down has been great for me. <laughs> I listen to like sometimes Jordan Shallow. Yeah. And I'm like, bro, yeah. stop. Yeah. I'm, what? I'm like, why? Yeah. That's how you said bend your elbow? What the <laughs> fuck? <laughs> Wait, guy's brilliant. Yeah, he is. Um, wicked smack. Oh, so smack. So, so we were talking about this, uh, you know, the, the purpose of movement and stuff like that. And I'm just curious, is this, is this kind of why you've chosen such different mentors who essentially they're like experts in their own way, like mm -hmm. in their field, but also like personality types like Paul and Andrew Locke. Yeah. Way different personality right. types. Yeah. Um, so what's the purpose? Why have you chosen them that way? And and why why not choose more people that are smart in the field, but align a little bit more with like your personality type? That's a good question. I have Maybe to mm, a destructive fault, but I've always liked to surround myself with people who are not too much like me. I think the only person that I love to be around consistently that's like me is my cousin. Everyone else that's like me or near me, not that I dismiss them, it's just it's hard to find, first of all. But it's like I also love to find out different perspectives, whether it's attitude, upbringing, you know, experience, and I think those people, as far as a profession and also as a person, are going to push me. They're going to answer me in a way or pace me in a way that is is challenging to me. I've always felt like that's a sense of competition with myself to be able to accept this concept. So aside from the information, because you see, information is out there already. You know, with, I just talked about this on the way here. We'll talk about that later. But with ChatGPT and Google, it's not hard to find information mm. what's hard is to find someone that has passion behind those words and passion like love and anger is very specific it's very unique to the person yeah and i like for different ways to be expressed i like different you know paintbrushes to be used to express things because they're going to open up my mind to a different way of understanding of articulating that information in the future or filtering things out so all the people that I've worked with throughout, you know, my 15 years in this career, especially the last five or six where it's just been really great, 
is I don't necessarily want them the same. I would like to sit at a round table with 10 different perspectives than, or 10 different upbringings or experiences or ways of expressing themselves than most of those people that are the same because I am already the who I am and I don't mind hanging out with other aggressive in your face coaches or whatever, but I myself am not a two-dimensional person. So the people that I want to hang out with can't be, I don't, in the sense of professionalism, I don't necessarily want them to be two-dimensional and they challenge me. So, you know, everyone's different at the top. If you really get close, you know, it's like, it's very hard to find people that are too much alike at the top. Mm. And it's like, there's not a lot of room for complacency or copying each other at the mountaintop. You find that there's very little space for that. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I like that. So, with these guys, you're talking a lot about, like, again, we were touching on body mechanics and stuff like that, how to apply. I noticed you lately you've been talking about the language mm. of the body, yeah. okay? So is there is there a way to differentiate listening to your body and then the language of your body? <laughs> I'm glad you brought that up. Um, I had spoken about this briefly, and it came through... In life, you're going to have times where you are given a cue and something is me. It's just been shown to you to further be a catalyst to ignite something. And you have to see life this way. You have to see a connective tissue between everything, philosophy, ideologies, strength, physicality, body language, whatever. And it came to me when my, as my sister had messaged me, she's like, oh, I took a rest day off. I was listening to my body. Immediately, I'm like, bullshit. And I'm like, wait, let me, how do I, how am I going to tell her that, that not that she's wrong, but let's, let's be, this approach is different. How can I tell someone that they're, they don't know how to listen to their body? I mean, it's crazy. It's like telling you not to believe in something. It's just, and I sat there for a little while and it didn't take me too long just because I, it was like a catalyst. It was there waiting to be energized and, and, and thought about. And it's more often than not, people are listening to external sources that are telling them what to feel rather than trying to speak, quote unquote, the body of your language. The more educated you become about your health, your training, your psychology, your mental capacity, the more you look inward in the sense of understanding and using outward education to learn to filter out what's bullshit and actually speak in your language you're going to be able to listen to a proper source. It is not too uh, different than learning another language. The more you sit around that language, the more you go to that country, the more you sit with that person, the faster you will learn to speak Italian or French or Spanish. But the further you, you just stop practicing that concept, the further you'd start dissecting that education, you're not going to be able to speak that language. And it does, if you don't use it, you lose it. It's very true. Mm. So if you're not consistently training or understanding why something was or why you feel a certain way, you're not articulating these feelings and these ideas in a productive, consistent practice, are you really speaking the language of your body and your mind? How can you communicate with yourself if you're not even thinking about why you're doing what you're doing or how you feel what you feel? And this takes time. You know, it's, it's just like when you, you have a kid, okay, and they hit something like, I hate it. You look at this kid like, you don't even know what hate is, <laughs> right? You're like, what do you hate about it? It sucks. You're like, well, why does it uh, so on and so forth, mm -hmm. right? 
But how often or not do we do that with our training sessions? Well, I'm just going to speak this about as, as a coaching perspective. How do you say, oh, I had a bad day at the gym. Here's what I always say. Well, what does that mean? Oh, I'm just super stressed. I'm like, stressed about what? Oh, I didn't want to do it because it was hard. I'm like, well, what's your logic behind that? And then, of course, the person has two options. Either they're going to get frustrated and shut me out, or they're going to say, am I really stressed? And why was I stressed? Was it work? Was it, you know, did I stub my toe? And I think it's an anniversary of somebody. And then you put that at the bottom. You articulate that in some capacity, whether it's, you know, on a board and a piece of paper. And you write these concepts. And you learn to start to become, like, I'm actually listening to my body. I'm not just taking external sources. I'm like, this is the way it is. Like, So if you've never been really tired physically, or you've never pushed yourself in the gym, like, are you really listening to your body? Mm-hmm. Like, you don't know these concepts. And it's, it's just practice, right? It's like knowing when to not take the next rep. You don't know that the first year, maybe two or three of training. You don't know that. Oh, I, or even better, I had it in me. I'm like, you don't even know if you have it in you. How do you know that? Yeah. You've been training for two months. So it's like, it's the same concept looking inwardly to that. So it's, I challenge people to, to further dive deeper into the way they speak about themselves to themselves and practice this. Unless, I mean, you can do journaling or whatever the fuck you want to do. You want to take notes at the end of your training session. But this is very important. And it's, you know, mindful practice. It's actually, you know, cognitive abilities and just self-psychology, which is another terminology we can just create, basically. And it's it's doing that consistently enough that you generate and understand your own language. Mm. You know, and a lot of times when I'm, like, I'm listening to your body, I'm like, first of all, you don't know enough about biomechanics, training, and chemicals to actually know what your body's feeling. You might be listening to your feelings. Yeah. And it's okay to differentiate listening to your feelings and listening to your body. More often than not, you're listening to your fucking feelings and you're not dissecting that deeper. You know, you're just like, oh, I'm listening to my body. I'm like, well, you're probably being a pussy. <laughs> you know, <laughs> but how do you say that? You know, yeah. this is just a nicer answer being like, you're probably being a fucking pussy. But, you know, not obviously not all the cases, but it makes sense if you really dissect it that way. Is there a universal practice at like a beginner's level? Like, is there something. Like if I came to you right now, because I'm guilty of this, I, I definitely don't think I'm smart enough to understand my body. When I train and I feel like shit, I'm like, well, the work's still got to get done. So I do it. Right. Um, but is there something that like at all levels you would go practice this one thing every day mm. and this will help you understand the language of your body? Oh, that's a great question. Um, to touch base on what, what I think is what I would go into like mental hygiene and I just posted something on my subscribers and I'm scared. I posted something on my page. Let's do one. That's really simple. Mm. And I believe that we'll start with something simple like body language. How you walk into that gym is how you're going to walk. How you walk into your meeting is how you're going to walk. And I I'll put a personal experience because of training. I was able to do this. My dad was an ICU, and I'm not trying to beat a dead horse, um, but it's true to life experience. My dad was an ICU for over two weeks, almost three weeks. ICU is probably like the hardest thing you'll ever see a person go through. And I remember getting out of that elevator and knowing that I'm going to go see my dad full of tubes, unresponsive, blinking his eyes from you know being a normal, like basically just fucked. Or in the first three days was a ventilator, coughing, all this horrible shit. And I knew I was going to see my mother suffer. I took a step out of the elevator 
And I remember treating it like, I know it sounds funny, but it's not, that I was going to go into like a competition or something difficult. I said, A, this isn't going into battle and dying the next day, but let me use that as a strength. And I changed my physicality. I took a deep breath. I picked my chest up and I walked in there like I was going to go fuck shit up. And I put a smile on my face. I said hi to every nurse. I shook every hand. I said, Hola, mami, como estamos? And I went in there like, mm, you know, inside fucking dying. Mm. How I walked into that ICU is how I walked out every single time. Because I just, I'm like, he's going to fucking make it. And I went with that attitude. And like, that's something you can practice every day of your fucking life. From walking into your car, walking out of your house, going to see your loved one, walking into the gym. I mean, fucking for a second. Whether it takes negative information to make you feel positive or positive information to make you feel more positive. Use that as a motivation because changing your body language is an absolute way of motivating yourself. Walking into that gym, like you're going to have a great time just changing your shoulders, your breathing, your head stance, your voice, your tone of voice. You walk in, everybody says, yo, this time's here. These guys are going to fuck shit up, even though you're dying inside. But the moment you, you react that way, it's like even the weights know you're here for business. <laughs> yeah. And you're like, let's fucking do it. Yeah. And that's, that's a daily practice. That's a way of literally manipulating your body to change your psyche. If that isn't literally listening and using your body, I couldn't make it more simple than that. And everyone wants to say that, but no one really practices it every day, myself included. We all make mistakes, but take a fucking second. The next time you're going to walk into something you don't want to do and be like, life is pretty good. Mm -hmm. Or, you know, I had a fucked up day, but I'm not going to fuck this up. And I, I challenge people to do that. Even right now, as you're listening to this shit, you're about to go somewhere. You're probably on your way to fucking work. Yeah. And you're going to get out of this car, out of your air-conditioned car from 2020. You just had food in your belly. You have water. You're going to walk into another air-conditioned building where people kind of remotely like you to get paid to do something on a computer for 10 hours. Change your body language for a second. Walk in there like a big fucking bad motherfucker. Hey, good morning. What's up, baby? How you doing? Yeah. For like, fake it till you make it till you get to your desk. You're probably going to walk out of that fucking office that way. Yeah. This makes me think of what you said to us. Uh, on the platform and on strongman is that visualization and those mental reps. Man, sorry, I'm trying to admit for caffeine. <laughs> <laughs> we talked about this on the way here. I'm going to be the first one to say it on this fucking podcast. Mark your goddamn date. I had a really great conversation. It's already copyrighted. So yeah, it's copyrighted. It's right, trademark. Yeah, right? Idiots. TNs. He talked about talking to ChatGPT and he said it's called prompt engineering. When you talk to ChatGPT, it's a real thing. We can have about 50 podcasts on this. If you say, you know, send me a picture of a house, it'll send you like 50, you know, thousand pictures of a house. If you say you're the best photographer in the world, you've been to school for the last 10 years, you're also a photographer or critic, you understand that you've been to school for 15 years, you've had the best photographer, you know, teachers, I want you to show me the best five pictures of a house you're going to get a completely set of pictures because you prompted the AI with information. As a coach, I'm titling it this because that's what we do when we're good coaches. Knowing your lifter, knowing their platform, knowing their mentality, their cognitive ability to respond, their emotions, their life is very important. That's the difference between coaching and training and or programming. Programming is you're basically chat GPT 
training is you you train them physically, but you don't dive deeper into motivating them. Coaching is a little bit more personal, a little bit more involved. You're not a therapist, but it feels like it. You prompt them by saying, you've done this before. You've been through fucking worse. You're here to make a statement. You're stronger than this, and you've done this for 10. I expect 15, and you're the baddest motherfucker on this fucking moment. Do you get me? There is no fucking tomorrow. That is prompting the goddamn lifter. I get goosebumps because that is what a good coach can do. You speak the language of their fucking body. And now they're going to tell me, no, coach, I got to listen to my body. They're like, (laughs) I'm listening right now and I can do everything in the world. Yeah. And that's a fucking example. You know what I'm saying? Like burn the fucking ships. And that to me is called prompt engineering. And that's a good title because that's a, it's a scientific title. So I sound super cool. But it's a perfect title for what a coach can do. But why can't you do it yourself to some capacity? Mm. Of course, always have a coach to do it. But we can do this on our own. Would that like kind of fit into the bracket of auto-regulation? Absolutely. Yeah. Right? I mean, it's just obviously a, a huge concept to it. It's, it's very inspiring to me to know these things and to be able to inspire others. Of course, it's really hard to do it on our own. But of course, even... <laughs> 80%, 60% improvement in how you feel is going to be a good day rather than even attempting it at all. Mm. So kind of a, a left field Love it. situation here, but I've been thinking a lot about this and I kind of heard of this weekend for you. Like I saw it, but mm. I didn't know what was going on. Sure. And then someone was like, oh yeah, it was this. So good friend of the podcast, <laughs> Weaver. Scotty Weaver. Uh, retired? Yeah, 24 years of service, EOD, special teams. I'm not allowed to say what team, but it's pretty badass. <laughs> so he asked you to come out and speak on behalf of his retirement? <laughs> yeah, man. So I love this because you've said it numerous times, but I know you're the eulogy guy. Yes. So yeah. did you already have something kind of in the works? Not necessarily yes. like a eulogy, but... Yeah. Yeah? Yeah, because, yeah. <laughs> because speaking from the heart for somebody that I care about is not hard. Yeah. Um, I wrote notes. I looked at my notes once. I was asked to come up. There was three speakers. I was the only non-military guy in the room. I was also the only guy dressed as a cowboy because apparently people don't listen to themes. Shit. <laughs> <laughs> I came in there with a fucking cowboy hat, button pro, button shirt, you know, fucking bot boots. And all of them, because they all look the same, board shorts, short sleeve button shirt, sandals, backwards hat, glasses on the hat. I said, did nobody get the fucking memo or did you lie to me? He's like, no, no, like Colorado casual. I'm like, are we on TikTok? What's a Colorado <laughs> casual, dog? I didn't that doesn't even go up in yeah. Google. So that was the first thing. But I was the only non-military guy. I was there. Three other speakers. One of his, one of his good teammates and best friends. And the other gentleman that was next to me is the guy that actually saved his life and pulled him out from the, from the Humvee that got blown up. Same as Zach. And... I mean, you were standing with hitters, bro. Uh, you're talking about Iraqi, Afghanistan, special forces, you know, combat veteran, black ops, teams, EOD, Navy SEALs, real deal. Yeah, dudes. and that's cool. But the cooler part is is you stood amongst two people that are probably two of the greatest impacts of his life. Yeah, when I tell you that I, I left that room so honored. Now, I don't mean this in a fucking weird way. I get goosebumps. Yeah, And I, uh, there's been some speeches in my life, you know, obviously the 10 year anniversary one, but this one is like up there because you know, it just came from the heart. And I think I told the story that I told at Thanksgiving about my father, but how training prepared me. And I said, man, you personify that, Scott. 
because when you got blown up, you know, they were seeing IUDs from 1 to 14 a day, shot at every day, combat every day, every fucking day for weeks. You know, it's just crazy. And it's like surprise combat. It's not like, hey, yeah. we're here, you're here. It's, I'm having a good time listening to ACDC. Your car blows whoop, up. Whoop, 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 whoop. Well, zingings. Exactly. Yeah. And I said, you personify that because they said you'd never walk again. They said you would never stand with your brothers again. They said you'd never operate. They said you were going to lose your leg. And he came back not only to strike sports, but to actual combat mm. and to, to go back and stand with his brothers. And I said, you personify what we have learned in the gym and how that makes how that makes life worth living. He literally flew me out there. No, I flew myself out there, but he asked me to be out there to tell his special teams and his friends and his brothers why training is so important and how he saved his life. That was specific. And I go, hold my beer. Because I, this is easy for me. Yeah. Not only do I understand you, but I know you, and I know what this means to you. And if you got literally one of the best, because he, you know, we know him as one of our buddies. But Scott is extremely respected. Is saying what we say here, in his own way, and is asking me to articulate it because it's what he feels like. Yeah. This isn't a fucking game. This isn't things we make up on Instagram. Literally, the ambition to train harder that he learned in the gym by being strong and a competitive athlete is what saved his life. There's a picture of him when his leg is all bandaged up, doing pull-ups off his hospital bed the moment he could. They're like, no, you can't do that. You don't fucking get it. I have to do this. I will go back and stand with my brothers. And he's doing pull-ups on those bars that they hang over the hospital yeah. bed with his leg and 17 surgeries later to save his fucking leg. Don't, please, when I say shit, like I, I've been lucky enough to, like I said, stand on the shoulder of giants and tie their shoes. This is real, man. Yeah. This is how people get their lives saved. And I correlated that. And I said, I've only said this speech publicly, you know, once. And I, I wanted to tell you the story of my father, but I wanted to tell it to you right now. Bro, there wasn't a dry eye in that fucking place. Every single gentleman in that room came to shake my fucking hand and said, your words. I said, man, speaking from the heart, man. Yeah. You know, and it, it, you feel in those moments that, like, this is what life is about. Yeah. You know, there was a gentleman there who lost his mother to a brain bleed. I said, he goes, oh, man, super, I probably get super emotional about this. You're talking about a bad motherfucker, not a fucking, not that they don't matter, but not a dude I met in 7-Eleven, like, you know, combat yeah. veteran, black ops, bad motherfucker, you know. And he came up to me after, he's like, I feel like you were talking directly to me. And I want to tell you that what you said has, has helped me come out of a hole his wife came up to me bro tears in my eyes i'm like Haha. she's like you have no idea what you just done for him i said i the fact that you came up to speak to me is already my life is out of place where it's incredible and i tell you that because that's life you know and i tell you a lot of the things like i may not have been in physical battle but the warrior i said it to them i said i may not be in combat but the warrior spirit is is between us all that's why we find this and I stand with them. And I also, when I, I'm talking about, I go, I think my mother's a warrior. My mother has a warrior coach. She is a warrior. But my mother's never picked up a rifle. And they're like, no, absolutely. Because when you when you talk to those gentlemen from good to bad, there is something that transcends what we've done in life that considers us warriors as far as what we feel internally. And you feed it in that room. You can just, I swear, I wish you were there. The words, man, it was like powerful. I can see guys like just fucking locked in. I'm like, this is what life is about. Yeah. You know, this is what experience and being vulnerable and traveling and articulating your fucking feelings and listening to that shit and admitting that you're a piece of shit. I told him, I was like, look, I'm from Miami, bro. 
like I don't know uh, like horses or tractors or farm. I had to go to fucking Halloween town to get this off. <laughs> like if you want to push drugs, I got you. I'm fucking cracking up. You know, I might even told them I'm not a fucking moral code, man. But I do understand what what a warrior looks like. And I, you know, I talked about Scott and it was beautiful that my career as an athlete and as a coach led me there. Yeah. You know, I was not in combat, but the ability to help these guys through this avenue is probably one of the greatest things in my life. <laughs> Insane. Yeah, man, bro. I left, oh, peaceful, you know, yeah. like something had been accomplished tremendously. Like I was, you had just won a fight? Yes. Yes. Deeper than that, I felt like. Yeah. And it's crazy because I would rather win a fight. And when I walked out, I was, I didn't even get like, I didn't even really get drunk. I had a few beers. I'm like, I don't want to forget anything. Yeah. I want to live every second of this feeling that I'm feeling. I had like one or two more. You know, it's typically, let's get wasted. I'm like, yeah, no, man, I, I, I want to be present right now. What was his total time in? In the, in the military? Yeah. 24 years. So you, you got to speak on behalf of 24 years of experience. With and people that he's met for 24 years. Man, that's super cool. Johnny, yeah, different level. Yeah, I, I had been thinking about it, and I'm like, well, they don't really say anything to me, so should yeah. I? Yeah, yeah I'm like, you glad you brought I'm it doing up. it on the podcast. Yeah, it's way better. Yeah, I love it. It's only because we haven't been able to catch up. But it's oh, also God. one of those things that I feel like we should say in person because yeah. texting you what I thought, it's, like, you're, it's not the same, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. But yeah, it was, cool, it was incredible, bro. man. Incredible. Yeah. Well earned. Hey, yes. You know? yeah. So here we are. So, all right, now we can. <laughs> As we do. <laughs> so uh, we, we, we decided that this episode, we really wanted to get into progression. Correct. And, uh, you know, overall, the beginning of this, we were talking about your progression in social media, uh, your progression in a lot of things. So progress is something we all strive for. How has your opinion of what progress is changed throughout the years? And how about how progression is measured? Mm. So I think progression false it's very subjective that being said it's important to differentiate what can be objectively you know seen as progression and what is now feelings involved or qualitative progression am i happier am i do i feel wealthier am i less angry these are very subjective feelings and they could be quantified in a different way and then you can see progression as aesthetics weight competitions one and i think it takes a very valuable source of experience great coaching and great mentorship around you to differentiate both of those and to see both of those as equally valuable when i was a younger man and in some cases now progression was physical i needed to have it tangible i needed to feel validated through my physicality my body language my trophies my victories my feeling of being better than another man that stronger taller you know wider bigger squat like i mean that's always going to be within our bodies but mm. it was such a predominant force and i needed to be validated in many ways to myself primarily and then everything else because as much as i am a cocky fuck i am the hardest on myself so i needed to prove myself that i was worth it that i was worthwhile that i was actually strong and that I didn't make shitty choices and that I wasn't such a piece of shit. I was actually valuable in some senses. And I don't let that go completely because I think it's important to speak to that voice. But 
as things got older, you know, and you start thinking what the difference between rich and wealthy are, right? Victory and and uh, and winning and failure and losing, and you start to experience loss and life and what riches really feel like, and you experience family and that. And you have conversations at the end of the night with people that you just never thought you'd have. You talk to criminals and killers and rich people and billionaires. And it's something that's lost upon the youth only because sometimes the youth is not traveling or experiencing enough. It's not an age thing. It's an experience thing. I know people in their 20s who are 80 years old. They've lived a life that I think is just incredibly valuable. So I wouldn't say because I was younger, but because I was inexperienced. And now that I'm older and now that I've, you know, changed in a little bit of a life. I'm not saying I'm an old man, we're in our prime. <laughs> Definitely. But to me, progression has now several levels or several perspectives. You know, now in sport, am I worried about the weight or the intensity or what is on the barbell? Not really. On the contrary, my intensity now matters to, you know, manipulating the muscle, hypertrophy, aesthetics, the way I pose, the way I look, the way I feel, the way I'm eating. These are the primary physical aspects. Progression, as far as qualitative, you know, it's like Eddie Cohen always says, am I having fun? I go, yes, because it's hard and I'm suffering. You know, it's hard to do this stuff. Do I feel that I am satisfied with how I'm trained as an athlete? Yes. Am I happy? Yes. Am I angry? Fuck yeah, I am. I also think that's valuable. Am I anxious? Am I stressed? Yes, and I love it because those are, aside from feeling alive, they're also part of the mental, what people say, like a uh, mental health aspect of the umbrella. We talked about this a few episodes that it, as much as you want to have mental health include happy, you know, everything great. You also include the bad that is also motivated. It's also important to identify. So progression to me has changed along with the experiences of my life, but also as an athlete where I used to think that if I'm not deadlifting 600 for reps, it was like, there's this, of course, I still feel that way in some capacity. The fact that I'm not deadlifting 600 for reps right now really fucking, because when I see competition, I'm like, pussy, I can do that. But that's natural. Yeah. But does it dictate my life enough that it you know, hurts the qualitative stuff? No. I just find those loopholes and those little motivators and everything. So progression to me is an ever-evolving thing because, you know, physical and objective things are going to change one way and so are qualitative things. Hmm. So typically people uh, struggle to acknowledge their progress. From a psychological standpoint, why would you say that is? And what can they do to change that aspect? Practice. We talked about this earlier in the podcast, if you were, uh, if you're still listening. <laughs> if, you were here, if, if you were here, 15 minutes, you piece of crap. Um, <laughs> way to sign off and go get something to eat, idiot. <laughs> How dare you pay attention to your family? (laughs) (laughs) Were you not listening? Um, So I think the biggest issue with a lot of people is is a lack of practice. It's very easy for us to externally coach others on how to do things. I think all of us are the biggest, the worst at this. You know, it's like a doctor are their worst patients. (laughs) But it takes practice. And what people really, I think, hate overall is self-practice. And because most of the time we're the last ones on our list. So putting yourself first in some capacities, I do understand that it's not always that way, whether it's being a leader, a parent, a big brother, big sister, or whatever, you're not going to be able to always to wear the it's me hat. Let's be realistic. You can't always put yourself first. 
but putting yourself first during certain parts of your life allow you to have practice on yourself. What does that mean? Well, when you go train, let's speak, let's speak physical. When you go train, you have about an hour, sometimes less, sometimes more, to put yourself first. As you put yourself first, you should have a list of things to be practicing. Are you being mindful? Are you, and I don't mean this in a stupid hippie way, are you being present in the sense of, are you understanding how things are making you feel? Are you aware of your body? Are you actually looking and dissecting your training or are you wondering about how tired you're going to be in the next five sets or what's for lunch or what your dad is doing or how much money you have in the bank? It takes practice to go, stop that. This is my time. I'm going to focus on myself. And everyone wants to preach that. It's so easy for me to put a stupid fucking meme and go, put yourself first and, you know, be present, but you're bullshitting. And this is one of my biggest critiques. Do not post or talk about anything you're not willing to back up. Do not post something and create more needless skeletons in your closet. If you don't journal every day, then don't put something on your fucking Instagram or talk about journaling. You probably don't even know how to fucking write cursive. You make me pissed. <laughs> like, <laughs> so when I see people, they're like, oh, how do, you know, how do I practice? How do I get better at, you know, taking care of myself? It's practice. It's like mm. taking your first steps. Let's start easy. Like I said, body language. Identifying how to articulate certain parts of your training. And I always relate to training first because that's probably one of the only times that people are really going to focus on themselves. It's really hard to think about other things when you're dying under a barbell. You know, you become primal. You, yeah. This survival instinct kicks in. Aside from the chemical response of serotonin, endorphins, and the drop of cortisol, which is a chemical response to actual training, you're also thinking about how to live and how to survive and the smells and feelings and the sweat, they turn certain things on. Like you are in the moment right now. You're being forced to be in the moment. There's nothing like pain. Pain is what? Pain is presence. Mm -hmm. So take those moments, if you just have an hour or a couple times a week, to practice on yourself. How did that training feel? Um, you identify that you're able to cut things out of your life for an hour or two. Not always. I mean, that's the reason why some of us can't get off our phones when you train. It's a certain things. Maybe train at different times. Maybe prepare yourself the way you walk into the gym like we talked about. But it takes fucking practice. And practice makes a permanent habit. And it's okay to identify this. And it's not, it's okay to be disciplined. You have to be disciplined to practice. But you also have to be motivated. Mm -hmm. What's your motivation? Is it your family? Is it your health? Is it feeling better? Is it looking better naked? Is it being a better father, a mother, a sister, a wife, a husband? It's okay to look, walk into that gym and goes, I'm going to take this time for myself to be better at something. I don't try to be a fucking moral police. You choose what you want to be better at. But you have those little practices in time, and then that starts to kind of leak into your real life, right? That's why we do what we do. You understand that it's okay to put these practice daily and weekly and monthly and yearly, and you will finally start to see what self-progression looks like, how you're actually growing because you're writing notes, you're you have some sort of data. It's not just, I felt like that. I go, yeah, if I asked you what you felt like three months ago on a Tuesday during your squat session, are you really going to tell me that? You're a fucking liar. <laughs> but look back through your notes and go, hey, had a really rough week, lost somebody. This is a hard week, but I overcame. That should be in your fucking notes because you went through shit and it's okay because in a year you're going to look at those notes and be like, Here's my motivation. This is what I did on that week to overcome the hardest week of my life. And I did this. And it's data. It's objective. It's on a piece of paper that you wrote at that time. And that takes practice. It takes 
introspective practice. And I challenge people to do that because you're not going to find the answer always outside of that. And it's it's important to practice that. So I, well I think that's important, yeah. Well said. Do you believe that progress is the same as success? Oh, wow. You know, I thought about, you know, what's crazy. I was like, I better figure out what's the difference between progress and success. And then I stopped thinking about it because I'm like, let me just do this live like an <laughs> asshole. And I knew, I, fuck, I didn't want this to be ass. I didn't think about it hard enough, but I, I did think about it. I think um, they're not mutually exclusive. I think that there's one will really dictate the other. You know, there's obviously there's correlation between progress and success. To me, success is subjective. Progress can be more objective because let's say you're building a road. The point of the road is to get to point A to point B. Well, let's say you did it really, really fast for the three months and you build a bunch of road. So you've made progress. Is there success? Well, how much money did you spend? Where's the road going? Did you lose workers, right? So is there progress? Sure, there's progress in some aspect. This is just a way of playing with these words because you can also see progress as success, but let's be psychological here. Progress is to me a motion. So, and success is the observation of such motion. So I don't think that always because you're progressing that necessarily means success. And when you're successful, you don't always have to be progressing. Sometimes you're not doing anything at all. And that moment of stagnation gives you perspective, right? Because if an army halts to watch their enemies, are they progressing? Not really. But if they halt and observe the landscape and pick the higher ground and do their recon, they are still being successful, but they're not progressing anywhere until the battle starts. That's how I see the words. That's how I like to implement them to myself. Sometimes being successful is not moving anywhere. Sometimes being successful is progressing backwards. You're going back into some thoughts, right? So when somebody says progress to me, what do you think? Forward. Yeah. Right? That's why we use the word forward subjectively. Because remember we said the dig down, right? Yeah. So to me, that's why I like to take words and manipulate them, right? That's what we do in this fucking language in the first place. So to, to put it in a way, it's like progress is a momentum, I think, that's just objective. And then subjective concept of success is different. So cool. just to make it a little bit deeper. Not bad for a guy who didn't think about it. <laughs> that came to me on a whim. <laughs> a whim. A whim. All right. So we'll, we'll, we'll double back to the athletic perspective. Mm. Uh, as an athlete, why is training forward and backwards an important part of progress? Good question. This is something I was – we're working on something with Andrew Clayton and Paul O'Neill for a strongman kind of – not beginner's guide, but like a strongman guide. Yeah. And something that Andrew brought up, it's like you train forward during off-season, you train back during competitive prep. And I thought that was fantastic. I said, yeah, you're right. You know, you have to look forward sometimes. And let's, let's take that idea and correlate it to life. You were trying to, okay, I'm trying to buy a home in a year from now. Uh-huh. As of right now, I'm working forward to that. I'm saving money. I'm putting my efforts into this, you know, to make it personal, to build my business, etc. But there's also times where I'm going to look into the future of where I see myself 
a house, 10 dogs, traveling the world, and use that, you know, 2% body fat on stage. It's okay to look sometimes to the future. Yeah. And work backwards and analyzing where I need to or what I need to do to get closer to that goal. And that's how I see life. There are off seasons, and we always use quotations for off season because there's no real off season for an athlete. It's just a change in paradigm, the landscape, and perspective. Mm -hmm. So you train differently. But as I get closer to my goal, what happens? You become a little bit more selfish. Your tune and your tunnel vision become sharp because the, the horizon is closer, and now you're thinking backwards. Things that are going to get you need to do to get to that goal. Specificities. If you need $1,000 for a new backyard, that's where the $1,000 are going. When you're 10 months out, you'll be like, well, I'll take like 300 of that and buy a TV or pay rent, but I'll put some of it on. But when you're right there on the doorstep and you're working backwards, you're not going to waste $1,000 on anything else but right, right there in the forefront. So right. I think that that's a momentum forward. Is it going to always be successful? No, because sometimes you take risk and you fuck up. But it's overall in the macro cycle of things relatively successful. And so progression could be seen in that aspect. This is just one idea or philosophy of progression or moving forward or getting to certain goals in your life, whether it's training, um, life, business, whatever. For example, I'll, like I said, again, I see myself on the bodybuilding stage spring or summer of next year. So this whole year is I'm working forward. I'm creating habits. I am, you know, getting my cardio in. I'm getting my mentality in, my isolation. I'm building these positive habits. I'm working forward. I need more muscle mass, whatever. Next year, it's going to be a lot of what I can't do, right? And I've always said that. What makes an athlete? It's not so much what you do. It's what you don't do. Mm -hmm. The going out, the drinking, the undersleeping all these habits are now i'm looking at my goal it's right there and i'm working backwards into that concept it's influencing my movements more and more and more i'm less likely to say yes to parties or doing I'm, I'm it's right there right right now i'm like oh i got a baby shower today well when i gotta train i won't do that because that that momentum is i'm moving forward into something so that's a good question and i think that's important to kind of see life as some off seasons and then some specificities of goal attainment I wish I was smart enough to, uh, to chime Me in. Me too. <laughs> <laughs> I wish I was smart enough to have done this like 10 years ago. Yeah, that would have been great. So what about when a hardship strikes? Mm. And we're still trying to progress, but as an athlete, you've been stricken by a hardship, whether it be athletically um, maybe uh, what can we do on the athletic side uh, when an athletic hardship comes up? Mm -hmm. And what can we do as an athlete when a life hardship shows up? I think both of those are highly correlated and they're intertwined. And an athletic lifestyle is a, it's a personal thing. Mm. No one but you believes in that goal until you obviously join a team or something like that. But you're doing it because of, that's what you believe that's what you want. When something goes bad in the gym, it's going to affect your life. When something goes bad in life, it's going to affect the gym. You cannot escape this. This is just the way life is. There are several tactics for this, I believe. The best one is preemptive, obviously. But that's the answer to everything. You don't want to get sick? Take vitamins, whatever. You don't want to get your leg fucked up? Don't do this. You know, Preemptive action is very important. Let's start with that first. 
and this is the same thing I did last time when I correlated, like I never missed training sessions, you know, when shit was tough or whatever. Mm. You do that by setting yourself up for success constantly. So you say, okay, even on bad days, I'm going to show up for 30 minutes and do mobility. Even on days that I'm, you know, it's raining or I've been really stressed out, you get into the, get into the motion, show up, get on the treadmill, stretch out. Those are those small battles that are going to set up the bigger wars, right? Because you have now implemented an idea in your head that no matter what, you're still showing up because the difference between a champion and everyone else is that a champion shows up. Remember, that's that's Oh, I get choked up. <clears throat> that's the best. And I've taken that very personally because showing up is what makes you a champion. And everyone thinks, well, you know, that means showing up and doing great. No, on the contrary. Sometimes you show up and you did nothing. You were stagnant, but that's still success. You showed up to that gym. You told yourself that you're still this machine. You're still able to do stuff. That's your preemptive knowledge. You just don't say, I've had a bad day. You know, it's bad for my mental health. <laughs> I'm going to skip the fucking gym. No, you say, I had a bad day. I'm going to show up to the gym to show myself that I can still progress. I can still move forward. That's preemptive. When you're in those moments where life strikes and you hurt yourself or life takes away what you love most because that's the way life does, there is nothing written or documented that is going to help you out that's going to come from an external source nothing anyone can really do in that moment is going to soothe your pain you have to understand that that's why you train in the first place is because you were there and built to withstand pain that this is part of the lifestyle you chose to be an athlete that it's okay to be hurt that it's okay to be angry and that these situations are now part of why you train. And it's talking to yourself in this way. It's about articulating how you're doing, that you do feel like shit, but you're gonna to go to the gym, that you're angry and that you're sad, but you're still gonna train. That life sucks really bad, but you show up for yourself first. And then you find motivators. You find things on the external for your family, for the thing that's hurting you the most, that's probably why you're training. These are the, these are the moments that you find in time. And then looking forward, right? Because there's pre, during, and then post. Where do you see yourself in five months if you just gave up today? Where do you see yourself in five years if every time things suck, you walk away? What would your person, what would you yourself in five years come to tell you? Hey, man, you should have never given up on this because look where we ended up. And it's okay to imagine yourself coming back to yourself and saying, you know, it's not okay that you gave up that day because after this day, you started giving up every time things suck. And look where we are now. It's okay to use this as a cognitive practice. You do this when you speak to others. You do this when you speak to a kid because more often than not, when we give up on something like that, it's because we're being challenged. We're, we're reacting. We're not responding. We're angry. We throw a big fit. My, my foot hurts or life sucks. Ah, what do you tell a kid? Is this really where you think you're going to, you're really going to do this the next 10 years? How are you going to get to such and such? How are you going to be successful? And we batter them with this. How can you do this? How, is this really going to take you? Is this how you're going to make money when it comes to us? Nope. I'm going to sit in my shitter. I'm going to throw my, my, my fit. But what would yourself tell me in five years? Hey man, is this really the day you want to go back? Is this really the, the, the time to give into something like this? And these are these cognitive 
post like future things like thinking backwards and using that as a way of getting your ass to whatever it is you're doing whether it's getting up out of bed sometimes that's like the hardest thing on the fucking planet or showing up for somebody else when you're so physically drained you don't want anyone cheering you on you feel like a fucking piece of shit and the last thing you want is somebody to be like good job you're like fuck you and then you're like no and you practice these things because that is what actually makes you better is putting yourself in a situation that you're being chipped away so preemptively during and post i can't express this enough there's no excuse to not show showing up for yourself i there's reasons i believe there's reasons but we can't practice with that that concept of here's a little way out you can't practice that if it happens it's because you've been forced in that position but that's the same thing concept of burning the boats right you put yourself in a situation where there is no retreat so that that is ingrained in your psychology so that when shit happens you're like i've been training for this my whole life and everyone's like oh shit man that's that's crazy that you're that way i'm like you're not that much different you just haven't seen it this way mm-hmm. and it's not that any of us paint ourselves in some capacity but it's just fucking practice it's sitting with yourself when you're being a fucking coward i mean like hey you're you're being a coward yeah. i know man I'm going to fucking, you know, I'm talking to yourself as much as it's a crazy person. thing, And I think that's very important. But starting now with those practices are that preemptive practice I'm talking about. You know, I like, there's so many fucking days that all of us get up out of bed and like, this is it. I'm fucking done. If my car crashed into a building and burned on fire, get rico, we're done here. Like, I never want to do this and this and this ever again. I'm like, okay, you know, let's analyze where this is coming from. Are you responding to this? Are you being in motion to something? But who's the one that we needs to win out of this conversation? It's probably you. You need to win this thing. You need to take this victory for yourself, by yourself, and step a little bit forward. And practice these habits and these conceptualizations of ideas of using motivators and tools to push you into that direction. And typically, if you do one thing you want to do every day, you're going to be all right. And I'm not even getting into the whole aspect of how lucky we are <laughs> in general to be alive <laughs> drinking clear water in an air-conditioned home. And we're thinking about, because I'm not dismissing what depression feels like. It, it's going to burn everything around. And I'm not dismissing what being emotionally upset. I'm not laughing at you. I'm laughing with you because when you look back at those days, you're like, <laughs> what the fuck was I doing? Mm-hmm. Put yourself in yourself in your shoes two days from now have that future self come back to and be like hey what are you doing well that's a practice i am gonna go uh cry and <laughs> throw up about something completely, completely unrelated. Unrelated. <laughs> i'm gonna throw up all if, my meals today if anything if anyone's not busy you'll be able to see me do that later i'll um, turn the mics up some would say you would go back to the future wow come on that's also trademark we made that up we made that up no one else no one else did <laughs> God damn the show. It's the worst. The fucking worst. So sick of crying. So sick of emotions. <laughs> Stupid emotions. Oh, uh, man. So uh, hardships often tend to, uh, to most people, put them into a bad place men- mentally. Oftentimes, having them withdraw from things like training. Mm. Like you said, what are you doing? Tell us of a time where you experienced this. You withdrew yourself from training or family or friends or all of it. And how were you able to overcome that? (laughs) 
Well, <clears throat> I talked about this recently. I forgot who I was talking to uh, this about. And uh, growing up a certain way, I have a certain attitude. I have a certain character. And I put myself into positions where when I was younger, giving a person like me advice was very difficult because I was very critical who I'm allowed to tell me what to do and how to do anything. I was extremely defensive about that. I felt that most people just were not good enough, ignorantly so. I had some great mentors and stuff, but I was unapproachable with my tenacity and my anger and my, my commitment. It made me think that the way that I was doing things, which it pushed people away because of my attitude, not negatively so, but it was just the way it was. And I believe that retreating into myself was the only answer because I had all the answers. I just knew that they were all in there and all I had to do was break myself down enough and physically, mentally, emotionally, whether it was training or alcohol or drugs, enough to break myself into a thousand pieces so that I can be the only one fixing my pieces. No one could be the glue. It was irrelevant. I thought it was too vulnerable. And then, of course, you get older and things change. And the hardest part for me, and I always refer to 2017, was when I realized that that particular way of life almost got me killed by myself. Because when I lost bacon, I lost all those things. I retreated to myself because I didn't have training. That was a year that I hurt my back, so I didn't have training to even do. It wasn't even a choice that I couldn't train. It was just big three. So it's not that I didn't want to train. I mean, I did train in some capacities, but I didn't have the choice. So what did I do? I became unapproachable. I thought myself, again, to be, I have to be hard. I have to be a leader. I have to find things out for myself. And there was a few months, maybe a little bit longer, where because of that isolation that I had built in myself, I felt the weakest that I ever did. I felt alone. I felt unapproachable. I felt that people were nervous talking to me. I felt that they had no advice to me because how could they know what this feels like? I said, well, if your friend didn't commit suicide, what the fuck are you going to tell me? And that led to a lot of anger and a lot of dark crossroads in my life. And I remember, and even looking back so, is that it took me a long time to articulate how I was feeling because I didn't allow anything or anyone to push me in any direction, back, forward, sideways. And I look back at that, especially at the end of that year, that that is probably the weakest thing I ever could have done. And you asked me earlier in the show, like, why do I have so many perspectives or why do I work with so many professionals with different walks of life, attitudes, personalities? It's because when you only have one to listen to, you will never go anywhere. And that one that I listened to only for so much in that period of time was myself. And it drove me fucking crazy mm -hmm. because I didn't get, I didn't get nourishment. I didn't get, even when people try, it was like super volatile for me. I didn't want it, you know? And yeah. You, you see that in training too, right? You know, when somebody gets hurt or they have a bad session, they're unapproachable. And I was like this all the time. With training and life and emotions, it's like if I get really angry, <laughs> I'm going to be the biggest guy in the room when in, in actuality I felt like the smallest, weakest person ever. It wasn't only that I was physically losing my size because I wasn't training, but I was losing my perspective on myself. I lost myself because you know, I'm only talking in the mirror. Mm -hmm. And that's dangerous when it's the only option you have. It's okay to accept help and compliments and that it's maturity and experience when you use and understand and accept others' point of view or listen to them. More often than not, 
I get more criticized now for being soft because I listen to people that have fucked me over or that I forgive them. I go, maybe you don't understand that at one point you're going to be by yourself with so much anger towards everything that you never want to go there again, that you learn to forgive yourself and that forgiving other people is a joke because I am a fucking animal and I have lived a life and made choices that I am going to regret the rest of my life. But I've given enough thought to forgiving and understanding myself a little bit. And when somebody does something, I'm like, oh, it's okay, man. I'll see you later. Oh, why didn't you do this? And I would have done that. I go, yeah, but you're not me. And you weren't there in those moments because of my fault. And it's something that I always tell people. I'm like, man, it's really easy to be angry when you fuck up. It's really easy to just be that unapproachable animal. Because you think that that's the best position you could be in. But when you're that person in that position, you're isolated, you're alone, you're scared, you become a cornered animal, which is the most dangerous thing in the world. And that's not cool, man. That people around you that love you are so scared of you, it's, it's kind of sad. Mm -hmm. You know, it's, it's like when you punch your puppy or you slap it, and the next time you're around it and it cowers, a, a normal person feels like shit you're like hey 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 i didn't mean that yeah and i was becoming in a way where somebody would say something and i would look and they're like no man i, I you know what don't have to bring it up but i'm like yeah don't and i'm like man and i still have trouble with this i think we all do yeah but it's like at what point do you realize that that's not the way you're going to move mm -hmm. and so in that year i learned a lot through injuries man i tore my triceps since then my bicep i had knee surgery i stopped doing strongman uh, I've had a lot of issues physically. We'll speak athletically here. And I accepted people's perspective, their jokes, their laughter. I remember when I when I tore my tricep, somebody, uh, I think Mike, got me a shirt that's like, it's only a flesh wound, you know? It's like the arm bleeding. And I laughed, <laughs> you know? Five years from now, I'm like, you fucking the motherfucker. That's not funny. Yeah. Uh, oh, shit. No, Mike. I'm like, yeah, you're sorry. Take this shit back. Because anger was like the thing. Respect me. Yeah. But in actuality, it's like, the person likes you so much, they're willing to joke with you, obviously, with some capacities. Yeah. They want to ease your pain. Yeah, they want to be a part of it. And I learned that, right? And that's why I have such a, like, understand. I love to listen and, you know, understand. I may not say as much, but yeah. that year really changed a lot of things for me. I Isn't think. it kind of funny that, like, now, all these years later, from, like, a logic standpoint, the person you turn to is the person who knew least about that situation? <laughs> yes. Yes. And it's like... That's why sometimes you may have a better, deeper conversation with the fucking stranger yeah. than your best friend. Yeah. So, you know, that's an obvious thing, right? So I don't really have to. There's always something in someone or any situation if you change your perspective. That is fucking true. And sometimes it comes from somebody you really hate. That's why I always say <laughs> just because somebody you don't like or pissed you off or hurt you, there's so much value there still. Mm -hmm. But you're too stubborn and you're too weak and scared to say, I'm going to keep going with this. I'm going to see where this develops. Because diamonds would have never been found if people didn't chip away at stones. Like, what are you going to, oh, this is an ugly rock. <laughs> well, we pay all this money for stupid diamonds. Here we are. If anyone wants to sponsor us with, with a diamond If anybody wants to just give <laughs> We totally made up that whole thing. So. A diamond sponsorship. <laughs> Incredible. Um, so, man, shit. I, I am. I feel great. Yeah, yeah, well, yeah.
but I am like, well, I'm so tired right <laughs> <Yeah>. now. <laughs> I'm exhausted. We ran here. No, yeah, like, that's right. it. We're sprinters. Uh, so on a little bit of a lighter note, you've you've made this transition to bodybuilding. You you seem to be really inspired by it. So where did the inspiration to start pursuing bodybuilding? We know that uh, you've always wanted to get on stage before 40. You've said that many times. Yeah. Um, so I think I like that you've been very clear. It's one thing I'll give you a, a high praise for is like you're a guy who says it and like you'll say it and say it and say it until it happens. Right. And I really admire that because a lot of people are like, oh, yeah, I'm going to do this. Yeah. I'm going to do this. Like, yeah. Eh, it's been 10 years now. Yeah, right. Yeah, yeah. It's like, that. I'm going to be a bodybuilder. And you're like, oh, well, I do see you do biceps for two hours every day, but you look exactly the same for yeah. five years. And you mm -hmm. never get on the treadmill, so get away from it. So, so what kind of inspired the bodybuilding path? Um, was it due to the injuries? Was it due to just the challenge? <clears throat> That's a great question. And um, it's funny that we have in this podcast now, and I just... I feel like this is just the way we are. We're yeah. so us. We're so us. Uh, yeah. this, this, uh, you read my mind. You know, you're finishing my sentences. Um, <laughs> Sandwiches? Sandwiches. <laughs> and so I chose bodybuilding in the sense of it started last year. Last year I was kind of going through like a sport midlife crisis. I remember talking about it, whether I wanted to throw or strongman or get back into something. Um, I would always give credit to Paul. Watching him bodybuild was great. It was inspiring. So cool. And I was always like, if that would have happened three or four years ago, I'm like, here we go. Typical powerlifter bodybuilding. That's what I used to kind of say. And then I got older. I'm like, well, I can see why they're doing that. And then I saw him doing that. And I thought, man, he, he you know, it's really cohesive with his lifestyle because he's just really a disciplined person. Yeah. And I said, I don't think I want that. But I certainly want to train like you. And it, it, went, it's, it was motivated by a lot of things. Um, a, my body hurting a lot and not being able to do as many yokes as yoke, log, everything was just like hurting. And I'm like, man, I feel like something's going to kind of pop and tear off. I'm, this just hurts. It's not even like I'm going to push through. It just hurts. <laughs> and I'm like, after you know, 11 years of sport, 15 years of combat, whatever, 14 combat sports and whatever, I was like, nah. And then I thought, well, I'm going to keep throwing. And then my Achilles started hurting. And I'm like, I can't even throw right now. So I've kind of was, was really disappointed in my body. Yeah. And I was like, man, this sucks. And I said, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to give myself some time on the machines. I think that I lack a lot of hypertrophy. I lack a lot of muscle. I also am not finishing any training session feeling good. I just feel, uh, you know, not satisfied, trashed, out of breath, just hurting. So I started training somewhat with some events on the weekend in August. And then suddenly I'm like, you know what I want to do? You know, when obviously my dad's situation came and the fucking yeah. crash that almost killed me and stuff. And I'm thinking... Okay, so my life needs to kind of adhere to a little bit more discipline. So let me do that. And then the concept of bodybuilding just aligned with it, right? So it's almost like we chose each other in a sense. Where I'm like, okay, I'm going to use this way and do that. But I'm also, you're coming into my life to kind of tell me what to do too, right? How to like, when to progress, how to train, how to get on the treadmill, how to eat, how to things I got to not do. And of course, that came from also a business perspective where, you know, being aesthetically in some position or looking a certain way is going to absolutely create some online business. It's going to open up a new avenue as far as bodybuilding. Like I know how to bodybuild, but I'm not a bodybuilder and I'm not going to even say that I have enough knowledge or experience to think that I, I have enough to get me through a lot of things, but like I'm trying to be the student here and, and to use it and to help. So that's where I felt like I said, this is something that's going to be really hard for me. It's going to be a lot of suffering, a lot of mental aspects that I love. 
I feel like I'm going to push myself in a direction that's something new, but that I can work really, really hard for without so much cost. Mm -hmm. And projecting myself forward as an athlete, as a person, as a partner, as a leader, as a coach, and of course, as a businessman. The arrows and the checks just go so much in one direction. And there's nothing wrong with being fucking yoked and then eventually getting dick skin all over my body. I mean, all over. It's everyone's like, it's funny. Everyone's like, bro, you know what, man? I love performance. Like me, I used to be like this. I love performance. You know, aesthetics is whatever. And then these people that are really jacked walked into them. They're like, man, that's crazy. Aesthetics is pretty cool. I don't yeah, know. fuck that guy. Yeah, but that's great. Is that guy's arm in braille? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> bro, it's this fucking roadmap on his arm. Being ripped and being jacked is cool, man. It, it, it's it's completely pushed me in the direction of being aesthetic in one way. It's really hard for me. Yeah. Obviously, I think it's going to be hard mentally, but fuck it, man. It's something I want to do. Also, the bullshit of all bullshit is you put a guy at the same body weight who's shredded mm-hmm. next to you. Yeah. Everyone's going to think that guy's stronger than you. Yes. What the fuck? Yeah, man. And it's like, okay, you know, like, I, of course, I looked apart in some capacities. But I'm not going to say I do bodybuilding work or a bodybuilder until I step on stage. And that's yeah. what's going to happen. And yeah. that's going to, I think, that experience nutritionally, chemically, mentally, physically, it's just going to open up an avenue that I've been pushing towards the end of my strength career. And strongman will always be there for me. I mean, I'll still, I, I see myself coming back to compete. It's just that right now, life has shown me some different avenues. And you know what? I love that you still have that fire for strongman. But I also think that from an outside perspective, your contributions to strongman will be measured far beyond you as an athlete. Oh, and if you look at like the choices, like the Ragnarok games, yours, uh, how you're like everything in Florida that touches strongman has your thumbprint on it to mm. some degree, right? which is super cool. And I think that when it's all said and done and we're old and we're in the retirement home <laughs> racing in wheelchairs, <laughs> um, and probably on some Days type of, of hallucinogen. Thunder. Yeah, yeah, for sure. For, for sure. sure. For sure. Uh, I think that's what people will remember. And I don't think that you owe this for anything else other than to be an ambassador, which you have done. And I don't, there are very few that do it better. Oh, I appreciate that. Yeah, thank you. That's something that I felt pretty satisfied is that I don't feel like I left the sport. Um, athletically, maybe, maybe for now. I mean, I'll go and I'll do it by choice, not necessity. Yeah, I did compete a few times in my career out of what I think was necessity, and that fucked me pretty good. Uh, I mean, you could you could say you left to lead. Oof! Wow, nice. Yeah, you're welcome. Dang. That's my De La Pava is <laughs> DOP is a thing. Nice. <laughs> I can write that shit down. Yeah, man. Uh, so, with this bodybuilding thing, I know that like the overall goal is next year. But what would you say is like you're waking up and finding to be your biggest challenge now? my lifestyle um drinking you know going like not sleeping enough and it's like if anyone cares there's no whiskey here yeah none bro just caffeine and fiji water maybe two shows like that yeah fiji water filtered through the finest uh asphalt in new york city yeah made from the mountains of vaginas um that's the hardest it's uh, there's two things that i think is hard Mm. Number one, changing my lifestyle little by little to now understand what's coming next year when I'm drinking zero, when I'm eating no bad food, no, okay, we're going to have eggs and bacon for breakfast, like nothing out of the ordinary. When I go up to 
an hour of cardio when I'm at a caloric deficit, you know, when all these things are, I'm, I'm getting ready for that. I, I, I do drink still, but it's 30% of what I used to. I sometimes driving by a bar and just going to watch the game and having a few beers, it's like one of the greatest things in America. And it's like, fuck, I'm trying not to do that. I like people would ask me, it's like, Oh, is it really that you have to drink? I, like, I have to drink. I like to drink. Let's yeah. be real here. Shut up. When you have a couple of drinks and you're feeling loosey goosey and you're getting silly goosey with your friends. It's fun, you know. Yeah. Now, if you want to drink and puke every time, like or blackout, which I also love to do, it's like <laughs> it becomes ineffective. Um, I've heard really fun things about blacked out me. So. Yeah, it's a great. It's your huggy. I love it. Uh, that's been very hard. I don't want to say it's the hardest thing in the world. You know, first world problems to have to eat five, to, you know, good meals, delicious meals a day, drink a gallon of water, train at an air conditioned gym with amazing machines. You know, if I see this objectively, life is still pretty good. One of the hardest things, and this is probably number two, is the identity shift. Mm. Shifting, not so much how I feel, but how what I feel the world perceives me as. How my peers and my lifters and my friends are perceiving me as. Me shifting into power, into bodybuilding was not hard on an internal level. It's simply what life has given me when I want to do something hard. Whenever I want to do something really bad, I'll do it because internally the decision has been made and that's it. Externally and how I deal with that, how things are coming up from the outside is difficult. Mm. I see people as maybe think I'm a quitter or I'm that guy that stopped doing strongman to do bodybuilding like every other motherfucker on Instagram. Or people see that I no longer am strong or that I'm not really going to do this for real. Or now everyone that knows me or some of my lifters they all want to lift in machines and they don't want to trim with the barbell as much and i'm like you fuckers like and i take that i'm like what are you doing and i'm trying to i'm like oh man no one wants to train at the gym anymore everybody wants to do what i do and it's it's hard right because as a coach you're like hey hey hey, hey i need you at the battle axe yeah i want you there you're a performance athlete i talked about it this morning it's like understand that i'm using these machines because i'm old and i'm beat up and I can't bench press 315 for four sets of 10 anymore. Right. I have to use a chest press machine. It's more effective for hypertrophy because I'm trying to be on stage next year. And that most of this muscle has been built in 10 years of battle axe lifting. It's just, I'm being more specific on it. And I'm very fortunate to have pro body tech and Sam and them to have an incredible gym that I can use and, and have incredible access to, which is awesome. I'm extremely lucky about that. But these external factors, like, oh, look at you. Like, are you done with Strongman? Are you being a pussy? Are you you're scared to go back? And these are very real thoughts when you shift your identity. Mm-hmm. And it's taking some time to show myself that I can stand up for who I believe that I am, which is a fucking athlete. I'm a competitor. It's me trying to better myself by suffering and putting myself through, like, hardships physically that I will always chase. Maybe one day I'll run a fucking marathon. I don't know. It's it's how I express that warrior spirit. Mm-hmm. My mother expressed it by being a great mother and a leader and a and a matriarch. Is she less of a warrior than me because I picked up a fucking barbell? Right. No, right? You wouldn't say that to her or me. But it's very easy for somebody to go, oh, you do bodybuilding now? Well, you're a pussy. I'm like, well, you're not. So, And I know because I was guilty of this years ago. And that the subject, if I want to be completely candid, is like you don't give up on something you love. And I'm like, did I really though? Because you can't say that to my face. You can't because I love strongman and I love competitive sports and we're still in love. I just help her in different ways. It's a, it's 
almost like the progression of a relationship. Yes. You date, or you talk, you mm-hmm. date, and you get married, and your responsibility shifts. Absolutely. It's a different way of, progr- of providing who you are in love, right? Mm-hmm. And they, I remember one time in, in psychology class, they told me, it's like, oh, eventually the fireworks fade. And I remember raising my hand and said, the fireworks don't fade. They just change color. Ooh. And that fucking class, I remember this date that I was 21 years old. She goes, wow. I go, well, I was a kid. I go, that's how I see it because of my parents. My parents are an incredible example of, yeah. of love. From the, I'm sure when they were kids and all the shit, I remember. And there's still fireworks. It's just different. You know, now my dad looks, they just look at it differently. And that was, it's still hard for me. You know, like I see straw man and I see myself. And I know that when I lift a log, people are like, oh, there you are. Hey, welcome back. And I'm like, and every inch of me is like, yeah, I want to come back. But I was like, that's not me. Yeah. You know, it's me. Do whatever the fuck I want. That's Michael go. de la Pau, Right. And doing it with passion and heart and genuine excitement. That's who I am. That's who I am. It could be reading a book or being quiet. Like, but when I do it, I do it with my whole ass heart. And yes, I don't want to go back to Strongman. And yes, I imagine uplifting and getting into things. And yeah, maybe I'll dabble in some stuff, but the goal is different. Yeah. And the expression of who I am is coming into this path. So that was the hardest part. It's still the hardest part. Yeah. You know, and, and I think that's okay. I think that's part of it. But I always say, you know, my goal is to be on stage next year. I want to be a bodybuilder. I don't want a body build. I want to actually check that fucking box of that hardship and do the cardio and eat the fucking meals and mm-hmm. be alone and be grumpy and get super skinny and ripped and be people are like, oh my God, watch. Yeah, I used to like you this way and I used to like you that way. I'm like, I'm sure you did, but I can literally see my organs and fuck you. This is what it takes, right? Did you ever because, see a liver pump? Right? Because when you're super fucking yoked yeah. and you're beat the fuck up and strong in, People have things to say, too. When yeah. are you going to stop? Aren't you tired of that? Are you scared of getting hurt? Right? So it's the same shit, right? Yeah. The external factors, like I said, they they provide a challenge. But I haven't gotten rid of any of those people. I find that as a just, sometimes they're not really thinking of what they're saying. But that also uses as a motivator and a way to better myself. I'm yeah. Like, I'm going to show myself what I can do. And then you'll see because you're watching me be me. Ignorance can't really correlate with malice. Word exactly. There's a difference between when I see people like, "Oh, you need to eat." I'm like, <laughs> "Okay, that's gonna come." I know it. When I'm yeah. fucking dying, I have like cheekbones of an ugly, cheeky bulldog. Get it? But remember, these are just goals. Right? Yeah, these are just part of the bigger picture because I respect my commitment to it, my expression of myself, and those are the people that will see it. And the other ones, it's not that I'm gonna try and convince them, but it's I want those people there too because they, they help me too. So what would you say to them now? <laughs> I'll just say, like I always say, I go, just watch me. You can't take your eyes off the sun sometimes. Oof. And it's like, you need that shit. Even if you're not looking at the sun, you fucking feel it. And just to be an arrogant fuck, like Louis the Fourteen, I'm like, I am a sun. That's me when I wake up in the morning trying to be a cocky fuck. I'm like, even if you can't look at me, you'll feel me. Mm. And that's what presence is, right? Fucking A. You know that sun's burning your fucking neck. You don't got to look at it. Especially and then what do you do? It's hot. You look at the sun for like a second. God, it's hot. And then you go around. <laughs> you oh, fuck, yeah. Yeah, well, I hate being sunburned, so. Yeah. Don't wear long sleeves. Yeah, you do. Fucking, <laughs> you get turned. You get burned as fuck, dude. I know, stupid white, pale white skin. <laughs> Disgusting. Out of skin for life. <sighs> yeah, and it's... Uh, I think that some of the concepts have been 
one of the things I wanted to talk about progression and putting things together and overcoming the hardships and all that stuff, I think was very important for me because, you know, A, we haven't had a show in a few months. A lot of things have happened internally, externally. <laughs> and Amen, brother. Hey, right? <laughs> and I don't, somebody asked me, you know, why I'm doing this now. I said, well, I, I don't think I would have been prepared 10 years ago to do what I'm doing. I don't think I would have been ready to take on this step. I think I would have been a much more destructive person or just irresponsible with the tasks that are going to be presented to me, both on a business level, but also on a athletic level. And it's not that I don't fuck up. I still fuck up. It's not that I'm not lazy uh, because I am lazy here. It's not that I'm like disciplined. And you know, I always say the truth. It's just very hard for me to do all these things, but we've always said it, right? The, the, the freedom, the value is in the thing down the dirt and the grime, like that's still very much where I like to be, you know, like mentally, yeah. you know, it's okay. Like I said, to have different positions, wear different hats, see yourself differently from the sun to the mud. Like it's okay to identify because no one person is two dimensional, you know, not, we're not works of art in the sense of like we're on a flat canvas. We are literally expressing ourselves consistently through training through verbalization through action through body language through sport through aesthetics performance it's okay to see things in a variation or in a way that's a little bit expansive mm. and how do we how do we write that down how do we work on that it's because it's okay to document your success it's okay just as much as you document your failures to document your progression or your success and i say or because they're different it's okay to document your failures as much as it is your losses. We had that discussion about that. I don't want anyone to perceive this and where we're going as it's always a momentum forward. We say forward because that is the attitude. That is the attitude that takes you forward. But the idea of forward sometimes is the only way out of when you're moving backwards, mm -hmm. right? Is it an ideology? It is a philosophy. It is a spirit. It is an attitude. It is a flag on the horizon always there it is the lighthouse no matter whether it's 50 miles in front of you or you just backtracked 100 and now it's 150 you have to consistently see things for this way i asked myself today when i came on this podcast what i was going to talk about because there was so much to talk about but there's only so much to talk about because we are fucking progressing because success is a systematic idea of actions and execution and those things take courage and they take practice and they take suffering and they sometimes take loss and pain. And there's no reason why suddenly we accept those in the gym and shy away from them in life. There's no reason why you like bloody, scrapey shins that hurt or a yoke that crushes your spine. And suddenly life stabs you in the heart and you want to give up. That is a contradicting machine. It is a contradicting idea. Why? In the moments where we have to be the bravest, do we cower instead of like how we stand up to pain at the gym? They are the same machine. You are the same common denominator. You are that person. This isn't motivation. This is facts. You are that person. And I came to this show like, what am I really going to put down? What am I going to write down for this show? And such incredible questions by John. And I was like, I am so fucking ready because of what I feel that we're doing here, what we've done already, where I think we're going, 
we've been preemptively building capacity for so many years to take what we just felt and then move forward, right? Because 2022 was a fucking motherfucker. And then you think, here you go, 2023. You know what it did? It kicks you in the fucking nutsack because that's life. Every year is hard. Every year of life is hard. And you think about this situation, but it's like, we like that. We thrive on that. We were built for that. If you're listening to this show, you're most likely going to agree with that philosophy. You have been training your entire life, not to always win, but to withstand, to be a force. We always say it, you can't always be the sword, but there is honor and courage in being the shield. There is no words to describe those who stick their feet into the dirt and grind out their life not going anywhere. It's okay. And that is also progression. That is also success. You hunker down and you withstand and then you start moving in every direction that you fucking can. If you were to ask me 10 years ago what you thought, what I thought success was, it would be an entirely different conversation as I hope that if in the next 10 years I am asked again, I'm going to have a different discussion with you because life is an ever-changing landscape and it's you who's the artist and you who is the attacker and the defender. Success is what you want it to be. But start writing this shit down on your fucking soul. Tell yourself how you passed the day. Remind yourself how you won the year. Put it down from notes on your fucking training on ink on your fucking flesh and sear it into your mind how you overcame every fucking day to get here. This is the battle action. Saying don't be a pussy. Everything is. Oh, I said battle action on podcast. Yeah. Whatever.